0: You guys know I talk about behavior change all the time. It's because behavior change is complicated. If you're trying to change your own behaviors, that is hard. I mean, how many New Year's resolutions don't even make it to February? And if you're trying to change the behavior of your students or your kids or your clients and trying to teach new skills and maybe decrease negative behaviors, that's hard too because it's complicated Behavior isn't always straightforward. There's usually a lot of gray area. There's a lot of what ifs. So that's why we have to spend a lot of time talking about it, right? There's a lot of different strategies. There's a lot of different tools that you can have in your toolbox for approaching positive behavior change. The tool I'm going to talk about in today's episode is probably my most used tool. And I have to say, I just don't know tools well enough to have like a cool analogy here. Like this is the screwdriver of your toolbox. Like I I have no idea. Maybe screwdrivers use a lot, hammers, something like that. Anyways, this is one that I go to time and time again because this tool works in any situation And it's going to give you a lot of information about what's going on. And that's what we always want to do before we respond. We want to gather information. We can't just react. You know, I've talked before about that difference between reacting and responding. A reaction is filled with emotion. It's from the gut. It usually feels good in the moment. If you snap at your own kid or you, you know, overreact or get upset or just stop doing that. That's the reaction. The reaction sometimes can actually make a problem behavior worse. A reaction doesn't teach new skills. A reaction doesn't tell that child, I'm here to support you when you're having a hard time. Versus a response. A response is planned. A response is thought out. A response helps teach new skills. So when we're looking at a challenging behavior, we always want to respond. It's hard, right? We're human. We're going to have those reactions that we don't mean to have. But in general, we want to focus on always trying to respond over react. And the tool that helps me be more successful in having a response instead of a reaction is asking myself, is it a can't do or is it a won't do? And taking the pause in the moment or later when you're thinking about a behavior or reviewing data and asking yourself, can't do or won't do. This applies to literally any scenario, any person, any person's behavior, looking at what's going on beneath the surface. So a can't do means that the work or the demand is too hard and the task or the demand needs to be adjusted. Won't do means there's not enough motivation. Within the given choices that there are available, there's not enough motivation to engage in that response, and you need to adjust the reinforcer. Every decision every one of us makes is shaped by two things. It's shaped by our skills and ability to perform that action, and it's shaped by our motivation to act or not act based on the options available. So let's take an example from my own life. So if someone asks me to run a mile, I am fully capable of running a mile, right? I mean, it's not going to look pretty. I am not a runner. I don't enjoy running. I secretly wish I was one of those people, but I'm just not. So if someone asked me to run a mile, I would say no. I would choose to not act on that. And it would be a won't do. I have the skills to run a mile. I just don't have the motivation. Well, now if someone says, hey, if you run a mile... I will give you $100. I'm like, heck yeah, okay. I'm putting my shoes on. I'm outside, even if it's winter in Chicago, and I'm running a mile so I can get my $100. Because in that situation, I have the skills, I'm physically able to run a mile, and I have the motivation. I want the $100. Now, let's say someone asks me to run a mile in five minutes. Well, that's gonna be a clear can't do for me, right? I don't physically have the skills to run a mile in five minutes. It doesn't matter what reinforcer or motivation you added, I still would be unable to complete that task. So someone could say, hey, I'll give you a million dollars if you run a mile in five minutes. I might not even bother trying. I mean, it's a million bucks, so maybe I would, but I'm physically unable to do that, to run the mile in five minutes. So even if the motivation is increased, My skills for responding to that expectation haven't changed. So when we approach any challenging behavior from a student, whether it's frustration within an academic activity, whether it's taking too long to transition, whether it's disorganization of materials, not turning in homework, not showing up to the Zoom call, I want you to stop and ask yourself, is this a can't do or is this a won't do? Is this child... Missing the skills or are they missing the motivation? Because answering that question will give you such a clear direction on what you need to do next. And that's that response piece, right? We want to respond. We want to respond in a way that's helpful and supportive and helps that kid be successful. So if we're just haphazardly adding reinforcers and motivation to everything, it's not going to necessarily be the right choice. Because in my running example, it didn't matter how much we increased the motivation. We added it. We upped the ante to a million dollars. It didn't matter. I still couldn't do that task. If those skills are just not there yet, it doesn't matter how much you increase the reinforcement. And it's likely to just make someone annoyed. Like in that example for me, if someone said, hey, I'll give you a million dollars if you run a mile in five minutes, Even if I tried, I'm going to be upset, right? I wasn't able to do it. So making that false assumption of, oh, just a lack of motivation is going to be dangerous on looking at how we are teaching new skills. Okay, so next let's talk about the assumptions versus reality and kind of the danger and the risk that that does when we don't take the time to explore what's going on. Then I'm going to talk about the can't do or won't do test. So if you need more information, how can you do a quick little test to figure out what's going on? And then last, let's close up with looking at what we can do next. Once we think we have a can't do on our hands, what steps should we take versus when there's a won't do on our hands? But before we get into all that good stuff, let's go through a few more examples. So I don't have the visual because we're on a podcast, but when I do a live session on this, I share a slide that has pictures of my kids from when they were a little bit younger. And I always like including pictures of my kids on my PDs because I'm traveling, I'm usually away from them, and it gives me a little moment to remember when they were so adorable and sometimes naughty. So in this picture on my presentation, I have four pictures of my kids from a few years ago. And we go through and identify if these are can't do or won't do situations. So the first one is my daughter when she's about 10 months old. She's sitting in kind of what my husband and I call the baby cage. It's really just like a gated in area. And she's playing. She plays for like 10 minutes and then she starts crying because she doesn't see an adult around. So that one would be a can't do. She doesn't have the skills to play by herself yet, right? She's only 10 months old. The next picture is my daughter a few years ago when she was about three holding a visual schedule because all these poor kids of special education teachers are getting visual schedules and things labeled and all that good stuff. So the story behind that picture is during a snow day when I was trying to work, I kept telling her, you know, hey, we're going to, mommy's going to work for a little bit and then we're going to do painting. And she was really upset because she wanted to paint right then. So I made her a visual schedule, right? And then showed her first mommy's going to work and then we're going to paint and that immediately calmed her down. She understood what was happening. So in that first part of that scenario where she wanted to paint right away and didn't understand waiting, that was, a, that was a can't do. She didn't have the skills in that moment to just understand my verbal language with the order of events. But once I gave her that support tool of the visual schedule, she was able to then understand what was happening. The next picture is her out in the snow on this snow day and kids for some reason can play outside when it's like freezing cold and their face is like bright red and their hands are like little icicles and they don't care. It's so odd. I'm like, aren't you freezing and miserable? But they won't come inside. So she goes out and plays in the snow and we tell her she has to come inside and she refuses to come in. Well, that one's a won't do. She doesn't have the motivation. With the options that are available, staying outside and freezing her butt off or coming inside and drinking hot chocolate, for some reason for her, because remember, reinforcement is specific to each individual, it is more reinforcing to stay and play outside. So she doesn't have the motivation to come inside right in that moment, whereas I would prefer the hot chocolate. That is more reinforcing for me. And then the last picture is the girls when they were like one and two or one and three playing with a pretend iPad which is so hilarious that now toys are like pretend versions of technology. And when the older girl, the three-year-old refuses to share, that is a won't do. She has the skills, right? We've learned how to share. She doesn't want to. She doesn't have the motivation in that moment. She wants the toy for herself. When the one-year-old refuses to share, it's possibly a can't do and a won't do. She doesn't have the skills yet to know how to share. So I really like talking through all these examples because we can see when we're looking at like a one-year-old versus a three, four-year-old, how some skills come developmentally and there's a developmental component on what skills might be a can't do versus a won't do. So that's always something important to think about. So let's talk about assumptions versus reality. We make a lot of quick assumptions within the day because we have to, right? We're always you know, deciding like, oh, we need to do some skill building here. We need to fade some prompts here. And we probably aren't even realizing that we're doing it. But with problem behavior that persists, with kids that consistently are unable to get things out of their backpack, kids that are consistently not bringing materials to class, we wanna take that time to dig a little deeper and to figure out what's going on. So maybe a first grade teacher has a center-based classroom. This is pre-COVID and everything is normal and lovely. And her kids are having a really hard time transitioning between centers. Like it's taking like, you know, five, six, seven minutes to transition between centers. And the teacher assumes that it's an issue of reinforcement. She's like, you know, they just all love the centers that they're at. That's why it's so hard to change. So maybe I need to add in a token board or a first center thinking of all these new solutions. Well, those solutions could be great if it was a won't do. But in reality, in this hypothetical situation, it's a can't do. The kids in this class might not understand exactly what the expectations are during transition time between centers. They maybe have never been taught or were taught so long ago that they forgot. Maybe they did it the correct way and didn't receive reinforcement. Maybe they did it the incorrect way And did receive reinforcement. They took their time, they dawdled, they chatted, and it was fine. So they haven't kind of gotten that skill building component yet. So even if the teacher adds in all these new layers of reinforcement, it's not going to solve the root problem that the kids don't have the skills yet to transition between centers in a timely way. Well, let's think about a fourth grader doing some math work, and they're engaging in a lot of off-task behaviors and some negative behaviors, drawing on the desk or tearing the paper, and the teacher's going to think, you know, oh, I bet that math work's just too hard. So they go ahead and give them an easier math work, math worksheet. Well, most of the time, if someone gives you easier work to do, you're usually going to take it, right? Right. I mean, no one's going to be like, oh, this is way too hard. Like, that's just our natural instinct. If something's easier, I'm going to be like, sure, I'll do the easier one, right? So the teacher gives the easier math worksheet. The child takes it. But these problems persist. The off-task behaviors, some of the negative behaviors. Well, if you dig a little deeper into this scenario, you would realize that there is a lack of reinforcement, there are other options that are more reinforcing, doodling on the paper, you know, tearing, tearing the paper, drawing on the desk. Those things are more reinforcing at the time. And there's no reinforcing consequence set up for completing the math work, either page, the hard one or the easy one. Maybe in the past, the student did complete the math work and there wasn't a reinforcement that followed that completion of the paper. So this one, instead of it being a can't do, which was that assumption, it's actually a won't do. So we want to go in and add reinforcement for that harder task because that might be at their skill level and look at increasing and adding some motivation in for that activity. Let's talk about the can't do or won't do test. So some situations you might be able to just pause and dig a little deeper and knowing the student or the client or the child, be able to figure out what's going on. But if you're having a hard time deciding if something is a can't do or a won't do, there's a really simple test that you can do. I'll give you the steps to the can't do, won't do test, and then we'll walk through a few examples. So step one, take baseline data. Step two, offer high ticket reinforcer to exceed baseline data. Step three, take more data. Step four, if the score increases, the behavior is likely a won't do. So let's go back. Let's walk through an example with these four steps. Let's use the classroom that was having issues with transitioning. But we're going to put a different spin on it this time. Step one, take baseline data. Now, if that sentence intimidates you, don't let it. Baseline data can be one quick data point, something that you you know, collect with your timer, with... You know, a worksheet, something very simple. So the teacher here is going to time how long it takes kids, her, the kids in her class to transition between centers. So when the bell goes off to transition, she's going to start the timer. By the time every child is in their spot, she's going to turn the timer off, right? She, maybe she'll do this a few times and get an average, whatever. So when she takes her baseline data, it's at six minutes. It takes kids six minutes to transition between centers. Step two, now she's going to offer that high ticket reinforcer to exceed that baseline data. And the key here is high ticket reinforcer, right? We want to give like something really awesome, like really, really awesome. So the teacher's going to say, hey guys, yesterday you transitioned between centers in six minutes. If you can transition between centers in two minutes, We are going to, right after center time, go right outside to the playground for a bonus recess time and get to stay out there for a half an hour. And it's going to be so great. So she's going to offer that high ticket reinforcer. Step three, take more data. So they start their centers and she takes more data with that new reinforcement system in place. And guess what? These kids transition in 50 seconds. Yep, when that high-ticket reinforcer, that extra bonus recess time was on the table, the kids went from transitioning in six minutes to 50 seconds. So step four, that score increased, right? We saw that they were doing it better. They were completing that skill in a faster way. So now we know that that's likely a won't do. The kids in the class have the skills to transition, but they do not have the motivation, Okay, so the big question is, once you have an idea of whether the challenging behavior is a can't do or a won't do, what do you do next? So let's break that down a little bit. If the issue is a can't do, meaning the child, the adult, the individual doesn't have the skills yet to achieve that expectation, that demand, complete that activity, we obviously want to teach the missing skills. You want to make sure it's developmentally appropriate, and then you want to start to teach and support the development of those missing skills. Oftentimes, there's a breakdown in executive functions that are affecting the ability to achieve an expectation there could be poor time management, there could be lack of task initiation, there could be poor emotional control. These skills affect so many things that impact the success our kids have on a daily basis. If you want to learn more on executive functioning head back to episode 114 we talk about the entire episode. So looking at ways to support executive functions will really help build missing skills. Another thing I always think about if it's a can't do is, is there a replacement behavior? And is that replacement behavior something that we've taught and something that we've gotten buy-in from? If you've heard me talk about behavior change and replacement behaviors, you know, replacement behaviors are the secret sauce to positive behavior change. You need it. You must have it. And you have to teach it. If you took my behavior change course, you know all about that phase one, phase two, right? We got to get the buy-in before we start any delay and denial. So make sure that there is a replacement behavior that's in place and then that student knows how to do. Now on the other side, if it's a won't do and it's a motivation issue, well, we got to look at what we're using as reinforcers and reassess if things are actually reinforcers, There are so many wrong assumptions about reinforcement. Stickers are not reinforcing to everyone. Praise is not reinforcing to everyone. Good grades are not reinforcing to everyone. Reinforcement is specific to each individual. So you might have to go back to the drawing board and figure out what is reinforcing for that child's behavior at that time. So this might mean doing a reinforcer survey with the individual or with the parents or guardians. This might mean doing regular preference assessments. This might mean looking at the novelty of items you're using. Sometimes activities and items are reinforcing because they're new. If you want to learn more about reinforcement, oh my gosh, do I want to tell you more about reinforcement is for sure one of my favorite things to talk about. Check out episodes 41, 56, or 83 of the podcast that are all on reinforcement because there's a lot to unpack within that whole topic. But let's go back to the topic of this episode. So in our pursuit of always responding and not reacting when negative behaviors occur, responding in a way that's supportive and that encourages and teaches new skills, we are going to pause and ask ourselves, is this a can't do or a won't do? Do I need to teach missing skills or do I need to add more motivation for this student? This is going to guide the way you respond in such an effective way. This is such a quick and easy tool that you can utilize in almost any scenario. So I encourage you next time a challenging behavior comes, which might be in the next five minutes, go ahead and think about it. Think about is this a can't do or won't do. If you're driving right now or doing something on your own by yourself, After this episode ends, think through challenging behaviors that have happened with your students or with your kids and start to think about what's missing, the reinforcement or the skill set, and how can you change the way you respond to help that individual be more successful. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper Podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback.